Alright, this is episode one of Judicially Noticed. This episode is about Robert Rafi, the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> He's a licensed lawyer, real estate agent, federal corrupt practices, compliance attorney, and just basically the most interesting man in the world. Federal corrupt practices. I don't remember that one, but what is that, James? Isn't that the license you went and got at the Santa Monica airport? Oh, oh, my my anti-money laundering license. I, yeah, I mean, it fights federal corruption, I suppose, in a way. So if you're a mobster, don't go to Rafi. You'll <laughs> get caught. <laughs> All right, let's do some let's informal... Well, let's first introduce ourselves. Introductions, This is a yeah, brand new podcast. Like, my name is James Alexakis Esquire. Uh, I've been practicing personal injury for a year, and then on the side I have a uh, vintage action figure and comic book store online. So I guess that qualifies me to uh, help people that are injured and sell you some Star Wars crap. <laughs> uh, I'm Robert Raffi. I've Esquire. Esquire, that's right. I've been practicing law for a little over three years. Currently, my specialty is in contract law. I deal with both drafting, reviewing, and negotiating agreements of all sorts. Uh, I also enjoy playing my guitars, building computers, and watching YouTube videos about vintage computer hardware. Okay, well, let's jump into it, James. Well, first, let's introduce this podcast. This is a podcast we kind of came up with at lunch one day. We are just kind of thinking, hey, you know, it'd be cool to have a podcast that basically, you know, gives some people some basic legal advice, but also is funny about, like, the trials and tribulations of law school, the bar, you know, court experience, the stuff they don't teach you in school. We thought we'd, uh, you know, give back to our community by uh, talking about this and having a good laugh. So that's the intro to our podcast. So, yeah, this this podcast will be a great way for us to uh, get realistic about the practice of law, studying law, what it's like to study law as a student, and then apply what you've learned or rather not apply anything you've learned because they don't really prepare you for the real world in law school, but to uh, apply yourself in the actual world of the practice of law once you've obtained that legal education and passed the bar. Or maybe just milk us for advice and uh, not make the same mistakes we did. With that, on that morbid note, let's get started. Uh, our first episode is introducing uh, Robert Rafi himself. Like I said, the most interesting man in the world. And so uh, let's get some background on you, Rafi. Well, first I gotta say, James, I'm humbled that you'd want to have the first episode be about me. Full disclosure, that is James's idea. Uh, so I, because I, I kind of felt bad, you know, make, making it about myself. But uh, James is really kind and finds me to be the most interesting man. So I will humbly uh, introduce myself a little bit more here. I attended Southwestern Law School. I graduated in 2014. Thankfully passed the bar immediately thereafter. And I've been practicing, as I mentioned, for the last three years. I did my undergrad over at UCLA with a degree in political science. 
Uh, I've also, in the, on the side, uh, obtained a little bit of uh, extra experience just uh, studying for various licenses. So I have a realist Bureau of Real Estate Salesperson license. I have a notary public license. I have but registered to practice before state and federal courts. But I mean, before all that, like you were born in Iran, right? That's right. So I was born in Iran in 1989, and I was born in the capital, Tehran. And actually, for the first eight years of my life, I did not speak any English whatsoever. And I never knew that I would end up uh, living in the United States for the bulk of my life. So, I mean, let's do a little bit, let's delve deeper into that. Well, I mean, like, other than basically you're the Iron Sheik from uh, WWF. <laughs> for, for listeners that might not know, the Iron Sheik is an Iranian wrestler, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you want to set the stage for how we met, James? Yeah, I mean, basically, we... We both ended up in law school together, but, I mean, we both graduated college into probably the worst economy since the uh, Great Depression, and there wasn't, like, a whole lot for uh, people just graduating to college with, like, a political science degree at the time. They're like, your options are pretty much learn to code and, like, do computers or become an attorney or go to med school or some sort of graduate profession. I mean, you could always become a political scientist, but I'm not quite sure what that would entail. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of statistics and, like, going door-to-door -door and a lot of volunteer work. You don't really get paid starting out, which so, they don't tell you is actually, like, how a lot of lawyers get started. So it's Jehovah's Witnesses, but for uh, politics. Yeah, like, my friend, he uh, he's a political science major, and he volunteered on Arnold Schwarzenegger's gubernatorial campaign high school with and he worked on the Arnold Schwarzenegger campaign. James knows like half the famous people in the city of Los Angeles so I think that's always an interesting point of discussion. Yeah so basically Rafi and I ended up graduating college and going uh, to law school because there weren't a whole lot of job opportunities. Investment banker was not a real popular choice back then. What else? The real estate market had imploded, so there was no money there. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. People would... It was basically a way also to, you know, when something was... Like, the weather was bad, you'd say, yeah, it's the bad economy. Or if you had a back problem, you'd say, my back hurts. It's because of the economy, you know. So that yeah. was the one silver lining. You could blame almost anything on the state of the economy, and people would understand that's how bad it was. <laughs> So yeah, we ended up in law school in Koreatown, which is... The safest part of Los Angeles, especially at 12 midnight. Yeah, he's being sarcastic there. It is the ghetto. <laughs> no, now it's... It's, it's gotten better. Well, now it's gentrified. Now they have a Whole Foods, I think. They have a Starbucks plaza. Wow. All sorts of things. Right after we graduate, they get cool stuff. Yeah, it was all under construction while we were in law school, so we didn't get to enjoy any of that. And now there's dorms. You could live there. There was a shooting while we were in law school off the Shell gas station just around the corner of our law school. So there was that. 
Yeah, the LA riots also took place there, but that was back. That was before we. That was well before we went to law school. Yeah, there was also was... a murder that occurred inside our law school before we went there. Really, I didn't even know about that. When it was Bullock's Wilshire Mall, or yeah, when it was the law uh, school. One of our professors, I think, prosecuted that case. Just a fun fact, and apparently Charlie Chaplin also shopped there. Yeah, Charlie Chaplin, Judy Garland, William Randolph Hearst. All kinds of interesting people. Yeah, so our law school does have some history in Southwestern Law School, you know. And now they so. have the Lego model of the school inside the uh, lobby, which is a new exhibit they just added. That is something worth checking out. I'd love to go and check that out. It gives me a reason to finally visit the place. I'll give you the pictures. It's not, <laughs> right. that, it's not that exciting. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the Lego movie where, you know, everything is awesome and... Uh, Right. So, I mean, we ended up in the same section. We ended up in section C. Yeah, so our law school sections people off to different groups. There yeah, are three of them, right? Right. Basically, every law school does that. They section everybody off into groups of I 100 see. students per section. I and see. they take in a freshman, well, 1L class of 300 people usually. Okay. And then they cut the bottom 20% at the end of the year. That's right. Yeah, that was a little scary. Half the people we knew after the first semester didn't stick around for... Well, maybe half would be an exaggeration, but quite a few people did not show up for the second semester. Yep, some people transferred. Stuff happens. I think the bar exam in, like, 2008, the year they had the earthquake during the bar exam, like, the bar exam was had a 64% pass rate. So all these companies were like, wow, like, in California, the hardest bar, is there's a 64% pass rate. That's great. That's a pretty viable job for people who don't have, like, any job prospects. What's it sitting at now? It's lower, right? Oh, it's much lower. It's it's abysmally low, even yeah. though they made it now two days, so yeah, it was, it'll jump up. It was three days when James and I took the bar, and now that we've gone through that agony, it's now two days. So I suppose that's good for prospects, but... We're kind of bitter about it because we had to do more work than other people are going to have to do. Yeah, you have to sit there for eight hours for another day and read dense material and answer ridiculous questions. They're like, if Tommy slipped and fell, who's liable? The hotel he fell in? And what was what was what was it like uh, living in 18th century France? And there's always a baker of some sort. Yeah, they had a bakery and sold baked goods and there was some some form of form of legal disagreement involving this bakery and the baked goods. Right, and there's and always was, there's always black acre. And then there's green acre and, and blue acre and, and these different but black colors. acre is always like the shittiest one. Like something bad always happens to black acre. Who came up with this terminology? I have no idea. Was it, uh, I uh, hope they rot in hell. Did a group of property professors, and Black Acre is a, is a term of art in the property law, real estate a course that, that every 1L first year law school student takes. And so there's uh, terminologies that, that they use, or terms of art, our professor liked to say. Yeah. But, I mean, Rafi and I didn't even become friends, really, until the second year of law school, because your first year, everybody hates each other, and at our school, my mom actually met my first year, uh, my first year study group one day at the Santa Monica Mall. These, uh, ver these gentlemen, five of them, came up to me in a, in a JCPenney-style store, like a Macy's or 
Mervin's type store. They all came up to me and they all gave me fist bumps. And my mom goes, who are those guys? And I'm like, oh, mom, that's my study group from law school. She's like, really? Because I look like the Armenian mafia. <laughs> well, now, come on. Our school has diversity. Yeah, every type of Armenian. <laughs> if you look up, I think I think they officially, because Southwestern always wins that diversity award, I think they officially have, I don't know what Armenian is listed as, but they have like every single Armenian there. I think the school had to be like 40% at least Armenian. And like the other 60% is Persian, which <laughs> is geographically close to the same region of Asia. And, uh, I guess that made uh, folks like James part of the minority. How did it feel like being a white minority, James? It was interesting. Usually, like, if you're in the UC system, <laughs> it's, like, mostly Asian. So, like, you're still a minority in, like, most higher education. I, I suppose this is true, this is, especially in Los Angeles, you know. We're a melting pot. It's amazing just how many times you've run into people from our law school just being out and about. I mean, it may have happened once or twice for me, but you, sir, James, have some talent for this. So you always have these funny stories about how you met person X and person Y from our law school. And there's always a funny story that goes along with it. So perhaps you can share more of that at some point. Yeah, I'm happy to. I'd especially like to get some of them to come and guest spot on here. Oh, yeah, we've got... Quite a few notable characters here that we'd like to have for our guests of honor. So, so yeah, after know. reading your notes, which were, which were like a court transcript to everything <laughs> that happened in class, it had like Veronica said that, you know, this case was about an ice cream truck factory. And a bakery. Don't yeah, forget the bakery. A bakery and a bottle. What was Brown Machine about? A bottled water plant? <laughs> I did meticulously type everything out, and you know, I'd, I'd have pain in my fingers every day after law school. But uh, yeah, I've since actually dedicated two of my shelves just to folders containing all these notes that I printed out and turned into outlines. Um, I mean, like especially in classes like trial advocacy, you were definitely like brutally honest, and like you had like comedic timing and charm, which you know. I think like only, I think now lawyers are starting to do that to kind of you know wake up these juries that are asleep and expecting like CSI transcript. We should talk about that. You know, I think the average person thinks that going to court involves surprise witnesses. And your honor, your honor. I like to call William Dokes to the stand, and then, like, in, in every, like, courtroom procedural drama, the courthouse is packed, and they're like, I thought that guy was dead! And then he just appears, and, like, you know, suddenly the whole case breaks, and the criminal, like, tries to run and gets tackled by the bailiff. <laughs> and incriminating evidence that's just submitted last minute. You know, when, in the real world, you have to tell the other side who your witnesses are, and there's this wonderful, lovely, and by that I mean horrible process called discovery where you exchange all this information way, way in advance of trial if there's ever to be a trial. Right, they course, know what's happening three to six months before your case goes to trial. And as far as the admission of evidence, there's a, a separate hearing between the, the judge and both parties you know, before the jury ever comes into the picture where the judge weighs the probative value of each piece of evidence against the potential way that it could prejudice 
to be uh, even comports rather with with the rules of evidence which themselves are a whole entire course that you have to go through in law school evidence but uh, so let's go back to our law school experience I think you made a couple songs and you had some YouTube videos in response <laughs> to law school. I used to write a lot of poetry and I play a little bit of guitar and I like to sing as well. So not a lot of people remember that, but I think there was a Facebook group and we, we would post things. Yeah, Section C had a face Facebook group and people would post things like this dude for president and... Uh, it's some other interesting threads, but you yours were like the ones I'd actually like listen to and like probably click on if they had a link. I think one of them was a video of yourself playing the guitar and like making fun of some professor. It's pretty funny. Oh, I think you're talking about the Lexus Nexus contest because I made a guitar video about that. Uh, but it was more just a comedy uh, video about how Lexus Nexus was useful. Uh, I don't remember talking about a professor on it, but I actually won a contest with that video. <laughs> Would you I got, win? I got a four hundred dollar Amazon gift card. Oh, nice! Yeah, which I spent in chunks to you buy. You didn't blow like, that on strippers and cocaine. Amazon gift card. I don't, how would a stripper feel if you tried to pay <laughs> for a lap dance with an Amazon gift card? They might actually be okay with that. I mean, it's, it's I, like cash, right? I think they did that. I think they did that in Deadpool in the movie uh, Deadpool with Ryan Reynolds. I think he tries to like pay her with like a Yogurtland gift card. What does she do? I think they go and play skee ball or something. Okay. I don't really remember the film too much. I mean, that's what I would be inclined to do if someone tried to pay me with a Yogurtland gift card. I would say, let's go play skee ball. <laughs> <laughs> Deadpool, random movie. Sh shout out to Deadpool. <laughs> so, you want to talk about the Socratic method before we. Right. For those of you who don't know, the Socratic method is basically a, la a lazy approach to teaching where the students really teach the class. The professor has an outline probably similar to this podcast of things they want to discuss, but they start it by giving people cases or, yeah, cases, which are basically real cases that were really litigated in courts in the Supreme Court. They hand that out to students to read a night or two before. And then you're supposed to brief it, which means, like, you have to write, like, what the court held, what are the facts of the case, what was the reasoning behind the decision. And then you get called on. Like, cold called. Yeah, cold called. Basically, like, the teacher takes the rule book and they circle some names and they look at them and they're like, okay, uh, you know, Joe Smith, today you're going to talk about, uh, you know, balls v. California balls. <laughs> And, uh, and, then, and, then, and then some professors make you stand up if they can't hear you, but others just let you sit down and, you know, read your notes and talk about the case, and they kind of guide you by asking you questions. Now, our problem with this method, at least for me personally, came down to being nervous about getting called on to the point of not being able to actually understand the merits of the case because getting grilled by a professor was always impending, you know, especially... Right, I mean, you're in a room full of a hundred of your peers, and then you randomly get selected to go through things. The anxiety of that alone, for some people, would make it so that all you're thinking about is, oh my god, is this person going to ask me a question now? 
Are they going to ask me a question now? Especially because everyone just used casebriefs.com, <laughs> which is a website that would brief your cases for you, so you wouldn't have to manually spot the issues and summarize the case for the professor yourself. And so uh, oftentimes it just became a race to be able to get the relevant information online if you got called on. And of course, there were students who actually outlined their cases, but... At the end of the day, it became more about being prepared to answer the professor's question, at least for me, than it was about actually learning about the case. Right, and like and, applying that to maybe like studying for your exams. Right. So, personally, I was never a fan of that method. Well, what's your take on it, James? I thought it was like really inefficient, especially when people would get called on and you could tell they were looking up like casebriefs.com or like Wikipedia because they were on like FIFA.com or buying lingerie before the professor called on them. Oh, we had a couple students who loved to just shop. Yeah, in, we in class and <laughs> in a stadium seating. So the people in the front row, you can see exactly what they're doing. If you're going to look at porn, like, you know, you think these people would sit in the back. But I guess their thinking was, if I'm in front of the teacher, they're probably not going to call me because I think I'm like so engaged in this class because they can see me typing and on my computer. Uh, they talk about a porn star uh, wanting to go to law school, and uh, when the porn star tells her friend, her friend responds, uh, well, that's not so bad because it won't be the first time that you're getting f uh, and for a lot of folks, attending law school is really reminiscent of that experience, given the heavy workload, the long hours that you have to spend reading, and and the, the inevitable cold calls that can be nerve-wracking, to say the least. And ultimately, the single three-hour exam, some classes four, depending on your professor, that ultimately decides your entire fate in that course one single exam, at least in our law school, that's how it was. Right, I mean, yeah, one single exam on, like, what is it, 8 in the morning on some random Thursday determines pretty much how you, pretty much determines 100% of your grade. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. There'd be professors who'd say, come to our office hours, and I will keep that into consideration. But given that exam grading was actually purely anonymous, I don't think it ever really helped. Uh, no, and a lot of professors would talk about random stuff. Right, right. We had one who'd say, pull up a rug, because there were no chairs in his office. And so it was funny at first, but then he would say that every time. And at that point, we would literally just take it as, hey, sit down on the ground, because I'm not providing you with any chairs. Your yeah, prerogative. law school is unhealthy in general. You're mostly yeah. sitting down reading stuff. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to add to that by doing drugs. <laughs> it's bad in class, bad for you. And also, should we take this opportunity to talk about, segue into bar reviews, what what a bar review what, while you're in law school is actually? So they'll pick a bar and tell everyone to gather there at, at 8 p.m. on a Thursday night. Or It's another, yeah, it's another <laughs> opportunity to share how miserable you are with other people. But, I mean, some of them were fun. So, some of them we went to... There was, like, nobody there. Yeah. yeah they were busy was, studying, we I guess. Went, was that I, the I guess they were room? actually studying for the bar. You know, despite how academic bar review sounds, it's not academic at all. All right, well, James, t t give us some advice on, you know, d drop some knowledge on, on 
prospective students, current students, students who are no longer students, but rather uh, students of, of the bar exam, and finally, students of life, people who are already attorneys and, and trying to make it out there. Well, that's a lot of people. I would just say, like, pretty much, you're not going to listen to me if, you're not going to listen to me on whether or not you're going to go to law school. My advice, my advice to all those people, well, let's take it one at a time. For those of you who want to go to law school, probably listening to us, you probably already made up your mind, so you should do it. But just ha have a good attitude and uh, be good to your peers and other people. It's going to be tough, but if you do it and you find the humor in the whole system you'll have a much better time and uh, mentally you'll be healthier when you get out. For the people studying for the bar, uh, my advice is memorize the law. Memorize that, what is it, the Convisor mini review. Pretty much how I passed was basically spending like two to three weeks just memorizing that law, taking the information, condensing it into my own words, and then memorizing that for three weeks. Yeah, two to three weeks, and then I took practice tests, and and then you should be good for the bar exam. I think that's like, you should probably memorize a bunch of law, take a bunch of serious practice tests, and get constructive feedback, and then take the bar. If you're considering law school, think about it in various dimensions. The financial aspect of it, make sure you're ready to undertake a substantial amount of loans. If you're not going to be able to pay for it or get scholarships, Make sure that you're doing everything you can to cut down on your costs because your future self will thank you. Once you're an attorney, it will be difficult paying it all back when a substantial portion of your income has to go towards it. Uh, once you're in law school, uh, make sure that you don't get too hung up on individual cases. Uh, what really matters is doing well on that one exam that defines your grade. So if the professor grills you and you don't feel well and he puts you down or you just feel like you didn't do well with explaining the cases or understanding the cases, you have to understand what matters most is actually getting a hold of a good outline, whether it's one that you made yourself or with your study group or if you're lucky you got from someone else who already took the class and use that to try and do well on the exam by learning the laws and applying them. For attorneys who are practicing, I would say always do your due diligence on any potential clients because Lord knows we've had our share of crazy ones. And also, don't get hung up on practicing one specific area of the law unless you're in a firm that only does a particular uh, type of law. If you're going to go into practice for yourself, you should entertain the idea of uh, general uh, practice, whether it's contracts, personal injury, intellectual property, and see what works for you. And sometimes when you learn more about the different areas of the law, which really is part of practice because law school or the bar exam doesn't even prepare you for that, uh, it becomes a learning opportunity for you to test the waters and see what works best. All right, I think with that we're going to close. So uh, goodbye from uh, Rafi and I, and until next time. Alright you guys, thank you for listening and this is Robert Raffi and James Alexakis signing off. You've been judicially noticed.